growth requires more than capital. Why do we call it the cheat code? Nobody said growth had to be fair. Revenue solves everything. Welcome to the cheat code. What was our fastest path to revenue? We tend to like to do things the hard way. What's the cheat code? It's giving yourself an unfair advantage over the others. What is it that really works and how are we going to grow these organizations? That's our cheat code. Once again, you're back on the cheat code. I'm joined by Mr. Josh Weider. Hopefully has a great tan coming off of his Mexico vacation. He's back in the seat. Happy to have him uh, join us here today. And on the other side, joined by the, the truth teller, the authentic, unapologetic truth teller of marketing. Although I would just scratch the marketing, I would just say in general, Mrs. Katie Martell. So happy for you to join us. Uh, first time in this format, but Katie's been on several of my uh, random podcasts in the past. So thanks again for joining us. So happy to be here. I am so not tan. If anyone's listening to this, I did just come back from Puerto Rico and you cannot tell. So Josh, kudos on actually taking away some color. I'm so jealous. You've got like a Northeast excuse, right? Like doesn't anyone in the Northeast like have that perpetual, we don't see sun out here. (laughs) We get from porcelain to lobster and back to porcelain. It's really nothing in between. And you know, I'm I'm just going to be jealous, but no, thank you for having me. It's super happy to, to see you both do this venture um, do this podcast. And Justin, anytime you you invite me in front of a microphone, the answer is always yes. Who knows what's going to happen? But the answer is yes. That's true. And that's why we invite you. Thank you so much again for joining. <laughs> so tell us what what you're up to these days. I, I see you, you know, uh, we we're just talking about the the internet prior to this. And I, I, I see the various kind of ventures and things that, that you're involved in. Like, how do you string all these things together? Like, what 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 is it that you're actually pursuing? Or is this stuff just kind of coming to you? Uh, I, I have such a cool job because I don't actually have a real job anymore. Uh, my background is very much in B2B marketing, starting my world off in tech, in startups um, from about 2008, 2009. Um, and until now, it's the, the through line of my career has been whether brand side, agency side, or as a consultant, um, marketing to marketers. I've been talking about the world of marketing for a very long time. We, you know, I like to say I grew up in the explosion of MarTech um, when I was at my company, it was Net Prospects eventually bought by Dun & Bradstreet. This is 2009 when HubSpot was just blowing up. So I was at a list company trying to grow a 12-person startup while HubSpot is evangelizing the beginnings of inbound marketing. So that was kind of my worldview for years and and just watching this industry, the MarTech industry, um, blow up, become way too bloated and absurd and eventually leaving it, you know. But in that time, I had roles in-house at, you know, tech companies um, PR firm, uh, did my own consulting for a bit, had my own MarTech startup for a little bit. I call it my 18-month MBA. We raised a bunch of money, launched a product, and eventually walked away from it, you know. Um, and since then, since about 2016, I've been on my own. Um, consulting has given way to a career that some call influencer. I they hate that word, but it is me partnering with brands to co-create stuff, campaigns, content, et cetera. Um, for our shared audiences. I, I'm lucky to have a lot of followers on the internet. Don't know why, but I'm glad y'all are there. Um, I use that platform also to kind of um, shine a light on topics I think should be talked about. So I'm a creator at heart, a marketer at heart. But these days, I'm doing a lot of speaking, a lot of advising, and a lot of work with nonprofits that um, I care about in terms of like workplace equality, accessibility, um, women's rights, all kinds of stuff. So it you know, not quite sure what I'm doing for a living these days, except to say that I get hired to do really fun stuff with brands. Um, I'm on the speaker circuit a bit with 
what I talk about. But in general, um, I get hired for the coolest stuff, like hosting shows and creating live streams and uh, hosting award shows for companies like Adobe, like really pinch me type work for sure. And so, I mean, like at the fundamental though, like a lot of these organizations are bringing you in or engaging with you to try to be more authentic, right? Like, which is a strange equation just even at that level. But like, you, you've got a job there to do. And I'm sure a lot of that job is like causing people to be self-reflective and like, hey, what is your message out here? How are you actually impacting and so on? So like, how do, I'm curious just to start us off, like how, how do you decide what gig to take and, and what gig to turn down? Oh, that's a good question. You know, these these days, and it's funny because authenticity has always been a word kind of assigned and prescribed to me as a person. I've always been seen as someone who does things my own way, marches to the beat of my own drum, um, isn't afraid to say some things in the in the in the in the public that you know people sometimes are too scared to say. I mean, when I went independent, truly, I had no one else to answer to, and I had a big platform, and I have a lot to say. So stars align to get, you know, Welcome. a lot of think pieces, right? And it's a privilege. I have a background in, in comms. And so for me, it was like, how do I take my knowledge of building thought leadership and market, right? Of writing speeches for executives and just do that for myself. Just start to play the game for things I thought the world had to talk about. And I started to say, here's what I really think marketing should do. It was really the time when like woke washing was blowing up, you know, companies pandering to social movements. For about a decade now, I've actually been speaking all over the world at on stages in internally at companies doing private trainings all about this weird topic that started because I started to write about the stuff that I was like no one is talking about this but everybody is thinking it so let me be the person to put pen to paper so to speak tippity tab in this little you know machine in front of me hit send and suddenly it's sparking conversations it's right it's creating the kind of change that I think marketers dream about but that someone like myself who's very like civically minded dreams about. And so I take gigs now that are just aligned with the stuff I want to talk about, the brands. I, you know, if it's an influencer gig, I only say yes to a brand if I truly can say like, yeah, I stand behind this product. I work at Vimeo and Adobe and leaders in their spaces. So I can say like, yes, they are excellent at what they do. I get approached all the time by brands that are like, will you share this? Will you share that? I'm like, I don't know who you are. I'm sorry. This, That's the kind of mix of I'm trying to be a real person on the internet. That takes some trust. That takes some, mm -hmm. I don't know, some standards. Not to say that I'm some kind of expert, but just to say that if you're going to associate with me, like you've got to kind of at least have the same values as me. And a lot of that value has to come with, you got to be known. You got to be a known entity. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's it's fun. I The gigs now too, when they come around for speaking, it's really clear. It's like, if you're ready to talk about the hard stuff, have a real convo about this. I am not a, a really buttoned up person. You can probably tell by the last five minutes, but I, I don't do well with um, having to stay within corporate talking points. I don't do well, but I, I know the game. My style is infotainment. If you get a 45 minute session with me, you're gonna be laughing your ass off. I will be swearing. There's gonna be a lot of videos, with, but it's gonna make you listen. And kind of that's the key to getting people to lean in is to be real, make them laugh, tell some truths. That's how people are, dis, you know, they get off of their kind of anxious, wondering if you're going to, if you're someone they can trust, you really got to get people to stop being defensive before they listen. That's a tenant from thought leadership. That's a tenant from sales, but no one's going to listen to you if you're positioning yourself as some kind of, I'm going to shame you into listening to me or I'm right. So you got to get people to feel good. And I think that's a through line of everything I do is just, I make people feel like what I'm out there to say is with their best interest in mind. I'm not here to shame anybody. And I think, you know, that's been since the beginning of my career. 
uh, a thing. Like you think about thought leadership in B2B. That's like the the buzzword of the century, right? Thought leadership. Sure. When it's done well, it's full of this like assertive truth. It's like full of a company going to market and saying, look, we know this is new, but we are so confident in this new way that we are going to make you see this way. We're going to we're going to change your mind from the way you're doing things. No one listens to that if they're caught up thinking that you're full of shit or that you're just hyperbole or you're just, you know, spinning something. You've got to be real with people if you want them to change. And ultimately, that's what I'm trying to do as kind of a activist, industry activist. But ultimately, it's what we're all trying to do. And I, I think a lot of people don't understand the levers of being authentic. They're scared. Well, yeah, I mean, you said it at the start of that, which was the stars aligned and you weren't answering to anybody. So just being your authentic self was being your authentic self. But how do you then go into some of these corporate environments with leaders, CEOs, whatever that think they need some authenticity, but you know, they're terrified, right? Like, like how, how do you even deal with a situation like that? Cause it sounds like you're brought in to do some of that, right? Like whether it's coaching, consulting, even in a speaking gig, right? I mean, just the right amount of funny and serious is a great quote, but how do you deal with stuff like that? I think I think leaders are uh, opposed to being told you've got to be more real. You've got to be more authentic right. because there's like a reason we do what we do in business. There's a reason we you know present our best foot forward to um, stakeholders. And a lot of times these days, the idea of stakeholders is like really shifted. You know, we've we've I'm sure you guys have talked about the shareholder stakeholder shift, Milton Friedman, blah 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 blah. We don't need to go there. But what's important is that I think a lot of companies, um, and specifically, I'm brought in to help companies figure out, okay. We've got all these employees wanting us to take a stand on social issues on social media. They want us to talk about this and that and this social movement. And how do we take a stand? Do we take a stand? How do we say something without being performative? Should we? I mean, there's all these questions that are swirling that are all about kind of where companies um, focus their talent management, how they recruit, as much as they position the public brand. So it's like a really interesting time. I get brought in a lot to just help them see, like, here's what's happening with how brands respond on social media or otherwise, to social movements. And a lot of times it's calling and it's coming from the insides where they want their employees or asking for them to be more, quote, authentic. Like they want to be, a, they want to work for a company that shares their values and stands for something. That's really hard to do if the organization, right, has been living on this kind of mantra that we are a company that will spin or hype or hyperbole our way to a sale. They'll never admit that, but that's the truth about, and the ugly truth about what Marketing and sales does. We're going to give the best story possible. You guys both know because you invest and have worked with successful companies that the path to growth is through real, not selling bullshit. You know, and I, I learned this early in my career, but nothing kills a bad product faster than good marketing. You know, you can really bullshit your way to a demo or to even a first sale, but the minute they they sniff around and you're not selling something of value, you're not selling something real, they're out of there. We know that long-term growth is about having truth in your marketing, telling the truth. I think these days it's kind of rare too. So to answer your question, a lot of leaders are like, we can't be authentic because that would reveal that we've got gaps and it would reveal that we're not ready to address these social issues. But the same applies to product. You could say, oh, you know, we've got gaps in our roadmap. We've got gaps here. It's like the companies that admit the gaps are the ones the buyer will trust to solve it and move forward. The company that says everything's fine, look over there, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain are the ones that get lumped into the BS vendor list. And once you make that BS vendor list, like you're fucked, I'm sorry. Once a, once a buyer thinks they can't trust you, mm-hmm. how do you get out of that hole? I, they can't afford to. And that's a new motion for a lot of companies, a lot of brands. That's 
it's funny that you mentioned that because like it's oftentimes is so ingrained, especially early stage in founders, right? Like everything's good. Everything has to be exactly what that customer asked for. We actually got a question yesterday, like customer testimonial time, right? Like someone's asking for surprise, surprise, like someone that looks exactly like them. And like when you've got a dozen or two customers, like the chances that you've sold to the exact size of organization who does the exact same thing, who's got the exact same problem, like is nil pretty much. And like the question was like, how do I, what do I do? How do I frame this? It's like, just tell them like, we are a startup. We do not have a customer that looks exactly like you, but here's what we do have, right? Like they've had the same problem or, you know, like they're at the same stage, like find some commonality there and just be transparent in terms of what's going on. But it's funny in, you know, in terms of like, even the question itself, it's like, how do I, I think the underlying question is like, how do I spin this so that it looks exactly like what they're asking for? Um, and it's just kind of so innate in, in what we've created still, like there is the narrative on like, Hey, be transparent and celebrate your failures and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like it's still about walking into a room and like being the most polished ever. That's what we've like said gets the funding, what gets the attention, so on and so forth. So like in terms of that counter narrative, like is it possible for an organization to kind of shift midstream? Because you're talking about some pr pretty big brands there, right? Like mm. none of us are perfect. Like I'm sure in the past, like they've done things where their employees were like, hey, I don't know that that's authentic or they're kind of hopping on the bandwagon or whatever. Like, is it possible? Like if you haven't done this, like from day one where you're like, hey, I, this is what we believe in. We're going to hire people that believe in similar things and we're going to really go all in on whatever that cause or whatever that, you know, just mindset is. Like how do, how do companies navigate that when they've gotten to a size and a scale where homogeny is just not possible and yet you have to deal with like everyone's desire to feel connected? It's a great question. I, I wish I had the answer to be quite honest. You know, I really do. I don't. I'm sorry. At interview over. We're recording. Done. I was just going to sell this <laughs> as the guide, as a follow up. I like wish I had the answers. I think I think what I'm seeing, though, at least I can comment on kind of the the, the tailwinds I'm seeing are um, certainly that that employees, when they get into a firm now, are expecting a lot of their employers. They are expecting them to kind of live up to their stated values. So if somebody's joining a company based on the stance that a company's taken in the past on, say, a social issue, or they like to, they're seeing that a company is civically minded or social justice minded, or it could just come down to the culture. They're being sold a bill of goods and they're going to hold these companies accountable. People are a lot more willing, especially in younger generations, um, to not worry about the resume hopping BS, to very much say, I have power and leverage um, as an employee, especially in white collar jobs like tech. I mean, it, it still is, you know, a candidate's market. I know it's volatile in many places, but it really is hard to find quality talent. And I think that a lot of these very high skilled workers know they can go into a company, basically demand the culture that works for them. And these cultures look a lot different than even, you know, 10 years ago. It's very much about a culture in which conformity is not necessarily celebrated. People want to work in environments where they can bring, yes, their authentic selves to work. But what that really means is, will the workplace adapt to empower me? based on what my unique skill set is. I might be somebody who learns a certain way or who has a certain type of growth path or this or that or whatever. Not to mention the fact that I come to work with a sense of social justice-minded values. The younger your employees are, the more they are expecting employers to play a much different role in society. 
that's just the truth. So I'm seeing the shift is kind of like, it's going to happen from within. It's going to come from the bottom up. And if leaders are listening, they're already making these motions. They're already listening very much to, um, for example, if they have employee resource groups, in ERGs in a company, you might have affinity groups like, you know, women here and uh, living with a disability or armed, you know, veterans here. It, who cares what the ERG is for? But I find that those companies that are like actually listening to um, their employees are the ones that are like supporting these ERGs, allowing people to spend time in these ERGs, even the allies, right? And listening to them, asking them, how do we proceed? What do you need? What should we be doing? The ones that pretend everything's fine and do top-down leadership kind of you know, approach. they're not, they're not listening. They're not open to what you're kind of describing, which is what do folks actually want? Conformity, if it's celebrated, means that you're squashing authenticity or squashing change because change is scary for most brands. I, this is a question about tolerance of risk, tolerance of change, but you know, it's, it's down to the company that's willing to say, we are a company that's shifting, evolving. Our brand is evolving. I, I think, and I'd love to go here if you're open to it. I think many times we think about authenticity and we look at it in terms of self, right? You get really stuck. And this is true for brands too, as a brand. You get really stuck in, oh, well, this is just the way I am. My authentic self means that I am resolute being that. this, right? <laughs> Who hasn't? And that's no shame. That's saying, look, is authenticity an excuse? Are we using it as a crutch? Are we using the way we've always been? Say that's as a, as a culture to your question. Are we using that history as a way of saying we have to be like that forever? Mm. True authenticity is about adapting. There's a great Harvard Business Review article. It's called The Authenticity Paradox. It's like 10 years old now. But leaders get stuck being, quote, too authentic, failing to realize that, like, there's multiple versions of ourselves and we go through iterations and we evolve. I'm a much different person than I was, Justin, when we first met. And thank God for that. Thank God am I a different person. We evolve. And unless we're willing to evolve as leaders, we're not respecting the fact that authenticity is about checking in with ourselves constantly, whether it's a brand or an individual leader saying, are we living up to who we really are in this moment? Forget who we've been. Who do we need to be in this moment to meet the needs of the context, how we have evolved in the brand's case, how the market has evolved? It is okay to change. People who don't embrace authenticity are scared of doing something wrong. That's fair. But don't use it as an excuse as to why you're not making change. Don't use the way we've always been as the thing that prevents you from the way we need to change. Because you will eventually be forced to, and it's a lot harder when it's being forced <laughs> upon you, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I know we're talking in generalities today, but this applies to so much in life and business. Well, it's also like pe people don't get the right sometimes to change their mind because everything is so available, especially with social media, right? Like you said something, that's you. Mm -hmm. you well, it's easy to reinforce that. You could never right? change your mind. Team. Once you take a stand on something, it's easy to find other people that have taken that same stand. So, like, agree. Like, the availability of information, I think, sometimes has the opposite effect. Right. And Josh makes a good point. I mean, can a brand say, let's talk specifically, a brand that goes public about a social justice issue. All right. Say it's 2020 in June, and they say, I stand with, I, we stand with Black Lives. Black Lives Matter, right? Say it's that context. Everyone had those sure. squares up. Today, this week, unfortunately, we're seeing a ton of brands respond to the uh, conflict overseas in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. It's like brands are going to start to say things that historically they've never, ever weighed in on. What happens when they're called out for saying something that doesn't match their behavior? Right. What happens when they're called out for being performative or hypocritical or all the other w things that we've seen happen to brands? Josh asked a good question, which is like, what 
it doesn't seem to be a world in which you can change your mind, right? And I agree because that's an important part of being held accountable, right? Social media creates this like age of sunlight where you really can't hide. But I think some really tried and true principles of PR come into play here. Um, Andy Warhol once said, don't read what they write about you, measure it in inches, you know, the size of the newspaper column, right? right? And I always, I always put that in the back of my little, you know, marketing student brain way back in college. And I was like, I like this. I don't know why I like this. And I realized now that I've lived through it, I realize why I like that quote. It's because every opportunity, every opportunity to get press is a great opportunity, even bad press. And you know the old adage, bad press is good press. If you take advantage of the opportunity at hand to do exactly what I'm saying on this podcast, be authentic. It would require you as a brand in that instance to say, we fucked up. Yes, we did fuck up. We were right to get called out. That's a huge step, first and foremost, that a lot of folks won't do. But imagine the opportunity, and I've seen many brands do this. This is um, part of all the talks I give. What happens when a brand gets called out? How do they pivot? So many have turned that into a chance to be really transparent about the growth they have to do and then gain the trust of the people that were calling them out by simply admitting like, yeah, you called us out. Thank you for that. We're on a journey. And as part of that journey, here's how we're going to evolve. Here are the commitments we're making. Here's how we're going to measure up against it and be transparent, just like you would with revenue or any other KPI. And guess what? They earned that trust. They took that uh-oh, cancel culture, oh shit. And they embraced it and said, let's just be part of the progression and moving forward. Again, back to that evolution, back to allowing your... The worst they can do is double down and try to hide and say, oh yeah, we're going to just ignore this until it goes away. That's wasting an opportunity to turn that bad press into a really wonderful redemption story. And that can play out at an individual level too. If you're a leader who's been called out, I was called out because I'm not perfect either, Justin. I don't know if you knew this. I'm not actually. This is news to me. Do we need to edit this out of the podcast? Or? <laughs> I hope you do. This is this is shocking. But you know, I I was running a group here in Boston a few years ago. I had too many white panels. I had all kinds of concept marketing experts on stage, and every single person looked just like me. And I am someone who goes out and talks about the importance of diversity. Talk about an embarrassing moment, right? But like, if I have to go through that sense of oh fuck, I messed up, and I messed up at a level where like I'm on a bigger platform than many people, right? I messed up. I claimed I messed up. I posted the thank you to the person that said, look, you really need some more diversity. Here's a few names. And I was called out righteously. And I said, thank you so much. Let my experience be a lesson for everybody. It, yeah. Did I take it personally? Of course. Was I embarrassed? Sure. The shame of doing nothing was way worse than the shame of having to face up to my actions and then move forward. And guess what? I've never made that mistake again. I think that's the key point there, right? Like, I think a, a lot of knee-jerk reaction is like, well, it wasn't an my intention right and like my right. mindset like hey that was my authenticity like i didn't do that on purpose but like what did you do about it in terms right. of like all right what action am i going to take i think that that i i would hope like that conveys what someone can trust you to do going forward like when they're in a much you know more intimate situation where it's like hey you're my boss or whatever and i'm bringing something to you and i I think you screwed this up. Like, how are you going to react to that? I think that's, you know, what a lot of people are looking for in terms of how do I get a window into the behaviors that are going to happen behind closed doors based on, yes. on what's out there. Can I trust you? Are you listening to me is really what they're saying. I There's a great um, MLK quote that I always include in my talks about this. It's basically a riot is the language of the unheard, right? What that means is for brands, if there's a social justice movement and they're being as loud as they can, and you're a brand trying to either co-opt the narrative, add to the narrative, be part of the narrative in some way, I think what they're missing is the fact that what these 
social movements are trying to do is get people to pay attention to the real plight of real living people. They're trying to be heard. A riot exists. It's a language of the unheard. They're trying to get brands and allies and an individual, all of them, to just say, I hear you. I see you. That is the only thing a social movement asks of all of us is to listen openly and without our own judgment and to listen and say, what is the plight of someone that looks nothing like me? What is the plight of somebody that I don't see their reality every day? And it's amazing when you just and listen. And that's all they're calling for. Um, but I think, yeah, it's it, it's easy to want to get defensive as a brand and a leader when you're called out. Um, the most authentic thing you can do is sit with those. What is it bringing up for you? Why are you feeling the need to now jump in? It's because you've been shot. You've been touched at your core. Someone's questioning your integrity. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think authenticity is about, is about keeping this sense of integrity at all times. What do you do behind closed doors when no one is watching? That is integrity. Who are you when the camera's shut off? Who are you when, you know, Zoom is closed at the end of the day and the computer goes down? And is that person wildly different from the person that you are in the day? Look, sometimes you got to be whoever you got to be to get a paycheck. I've been there. I get it. And I'm, you know, and I'm someone who's had, um, and I'll just be personal for a minute here. I've had a lot of chances in my life to be living authentically. I'm a queer woman. I have a wife. We've just celebrated our seventh anniversary in Puerto Rico last week. It was so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Together for 10 years. um, And she is somebody who, you know, I'm very proud to be married to and have been out since 2004. I joined the workforce in 2009 and I was out, but no one knew it. I wasn't about to distract anyone with anything but how great I was at my job. I had a fake boyfriend named Steve. I never talked about my girlfriends at the time. Yes, yeah, Steve worked in finance, by the way, because, yeah. Steve, Steve what? Steve Glass from Brady Bunch? Steve Glass. Oh, see, sorry, reference millennial here. I'm so sorry. Josh, oh, are you my age? What's going on? I don't know. I don't know. You're Josh is being be. as authentic. Damn, Josh. Brady Bunch. What year is it? No, sorry. Didn't get that joke. But Steve was boring as hell. He worked in finance so that no one would ask questions about him. This hypothetical dude I was dating. My point being that I hid a big chunk of my life because, look, the the stuff you get when you like only girl in this entire male driven company, I mean, all male environments, the minute they find out you're a gay woman, you know, the questions I would get, you know, the kind of stuff they would ask. It was awful. And so I just went, you know what? I'm going to keep my mouth shut because this is my paycheck. This is my income. This is my. I understand having to hide pieces of yourself, right, to get it done. But what I'm kind of advising, and this is where I'm at nowadays, when you can align who you are, live authentically, live openly. In this case, hey, it's by the way, it's National Coming Out Day. Did you know? Well timed. When you can be oh, out and fearless about it, it is it is wildly liberating. It is wildly liberating. And whether you're someone coming out in a, you know, a kind of identity type way, or just someone trying to be more yourself, my God, it's so much easier to just be who you are and stop trying to put up you know, performances for people. I hope that if you're someone, and maybe this is you too, who knows, who have gone through your career trying to kind of put on a persona, perform, be this person, that eventually you can see yourself away from that because it really doesn't serve anybody. It certainly doesn't serve you and what makes you come alive and what your soul asks for. I hope you could find a lot of work, right? Yeah. Like (laughs) the two face weight. Yeah. What to be yourself to 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 live openly? No, to live no. To I'm saying just not. To, yes, to, exactly yeah. right, exactly right. But I get I get why people do it, you know. And people sure. sometimes feel like uh, imposters in the workplace quite a bit. And I always like to say, sit with that feeling and 
if possible, do it differently. I was always someone who, whether I was a marketer, a founder, a consultant, like whatever position I'm in, I do things slightly differently. I just can't help it. I just am kind of built that way, A. But B, I just, I've never really been afraid to do it my way. And I often find that others are inspired when you start to do things your own way. This is a question I always love to ask. Why? Why do you think, is it your upbringing? Is it early experiences, why do you think that you're confident in your own skin like that? Because I do, you know, you see people, and I often think these are founders, they're entrepreneurs that just have this natural propensity to say, this is who I am, it's what I'm going to do, I'm going to run through that wall, right? And then you, you know, I've encountered a lot of other people, oftentimes employees, where I'm like, please just stop letting no be your first decision and just go do it, right? And that's a, I mean, it sounds simple and it's anything but simple, but I'm curious if you've gone through that, you know, a bit of that self-reflective process to to think about why you you have the confidence just to do things that little bit differently. Who knows, you know, and I, I wish I had a nice, concise, uh, pithy answer for this. You know, I've just always, I had a twin sister, actually, we'll just treat this like a therapy session. We'll start at the beginning. I have a twin sister. Julie uh, is my twin, and she actually works at a, a, a biotech firm. She's got a PhD in biochemistry. We could not be more different. Um, but, you know, from an early age, it was like the Martell twins. And so from an early age, I was very keen to be like, I am my own person, people. I am not a Martell twin. I am a Katie. And, you know, you're like a kid trying to figure out who you are in the world. Comes into teenage years. I got to come out as a teenager. That's, that's an internal fight to go against everything the world is telling you. To, to do what feels right. Like that kind of is where it was honed. But I've always been in positions where the the thing I do as a leader, and I've always been in a leader position, the captain of teams, the president of band, all that stuff from my history, it carried into adulthood. I was always the one being proactive, always the old, sometimes the only person saying whatever, again, no one would say, but I had the kind of balls to. It just, I'm sorry, cojones. Kristen's like, I need to bleep <laughs> out this entire episode. Sorry, Kristen. It, every point in my life in which I was given a position to choose, right, my path or kind of maybe the easy path or the path of others or the path, right? I always, whenever I chose my own way, as hard as it was in that initial step, it worked out for the best. Um, I can imagine leaving. I transferred majors. I was a music major for years. And I I had to listen to my gut and be like, this is not, this ain't it. This ain't it. Go make some money and go do what you do best, which is bullshit people for a living. Go do it. Turns out there's a legitimate career for those of us who can do it in marketing. But it just every single time when I was entrepreneur, pitching companies, I remember just oftentimes feeling like, all right, no one else is doing it like this. And you just get used to it. Over time, you just get used to listening to your internal voice, listening to your internal gut feeling. Um, sometimes you're wrong. You know, no no shame in admitting I've messed up you many times. right to be wrong. I reserve it. But let me tell you, unless you're learning from it, unless you are absolutely honest about the lessons you learn, you have no right to fuck up. Save that for the rest of us who are out here doing big things and messing up and learning the lessons from it. But you can feel it. I always say that a friend of mine says this, the truth is sensational. You can feel it in your bones when something is right. And buyers know it when they're faced with BS marketing. You know it as well when you're faced with a decision. What is your honest, honest gut telling you? So many of us squash that voice and ignore it. And I think it's high time that more people learn to listen to it and trust it and see what happens. It's like a skill, you know, like the guts, the guts, a pretty good barometer. It Mm. is 100% agree. Well, I think people are just afraid of what other people are going to think. 
for the most part. Like, sure. It's natural. It's, it's one of the Gosh, most you're common one, things. You're 1,000% right. I think we're so scared of the perception, again, that we're going to mess up or that we're going to do something wrong. And I, I challenge everyone to say, what's the worst that can happen? I've said plenty of dumb things on the internet. Who cares? Yeah. We're all so busy judging ourselves that we're not remembering that everyone else is also, guess what, focused on themselves. Do your thing. March to the beat of your drum. Stay focused on your goals. And you're going to just realize how quiet those voices can actually be. Yeah, I would say if there's one thing as a dad you try to instill in your kids, it'd be like, dude, fuck what anyone else thinks. Just do it your way, man. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. I love that. I love that you're instilling that. How old are your kids? I have a 14-year-old daughter, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. challenge. I have an 11-year-old son and an 8-year-old daughter. Oh my gosh. So a couple of girls in there who's going through going through the world wondering, you know, what am I supposed to be? Who can I be? What do I, what does it look like for me to be who I am? And, you know, you got a son who's got a great role model, it looks like. Congrats. <laughs> well, and from what I can tell in high school, you're faced with those decisions on the daily. On the daily. On the day. Who of us didn't, I mean, I went through phases in high school, right? Of like, you know, crazy, you know, looks and this. But I, I look at it like I was saying the the way that authenticity, the sense of self evolves. I like to think of myself like Madonna or Lady Gaga again. Josh references here. You let me know what decade we're I'm in. I'm good but... with Madonna. We're good with that. Okay, so the reinvention of Madonna is a wonderful way to look at living life. You know, she's constantly reinventing herself to be surprising and new and push the envelope. And what about us? Do we always set, rest on our laurels and say like, all right, this is who we are forever. I guess that's it. No, be more like Madonna and wonder what we can be in this moment in time and what we can rise to the occasion to match what the world is calling of us, what our kids are asking of us. I think it's continual reinvention to me is a very comfortable place because it means you are never, ever stuck. But you got to be willing to change. Change who you are. Love it. So I know we're getting a little bit long, but I, I have to ask the the other started, side of the coin. I know. <laughs> are we done already? Great, great flowing conversation, I will say. Like, <laughs> what the other side of that coin, right? Like, as an a job seeker, someone, you know, walking into a new company, what is too much to expect of that organization? Is there too much to expect, right? Like, because I think that's, you know, having sat oftentimes in the other seat where it's like, well, if I open these floodgates, no one's going to be working. We're all going to be, you know, sitting and talking and, and sharing and like nothing's going to get done. We're not going to have any revenue. And that's, you know, the fear of the company. But like, what what is you know the other side of that coin like what 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 is that is there a limit and and so what is it to to expect from an organization? Do you mean in terms of um, allowing for conversation about stuff that isn't relevant maybe to the for how yeah exactly like you know as you said earlier like allowing space for those conversations hearing the feedback from them yeah responding you know what I mean like what is is it too much to expect as an employee that like, hey, that is job number one and whatever the role is, is obviously secondary? I would say yes, right? But like there's a balance there and it's like a super tricky and important balance. Oh, yeah. I, I think that um, it's it would be a full it would be foolish advice for me to get on this podcast and say you should show up and say whatever the hell you want and your workplace and, you know, ask your organization to, to change the way they've been doing things forever. It's more of a shift that we can all sense. And I think it's more about um, as organizations are changing, I mean, look at what's happening right now with return to office and the remote work and people, a lot of people had like a midlife crisis over COVID, myself included, you know, to wonder, what are we doing? What the heck are we doing? We are faced with our mortality at a global level. It messed with a lot of people and it changed the way a lot of people look at work, the role of work, 
the role of a company in society as well as their own life. It's just a it's a period of immense questioning, which I think is a great thing. Um, I do think it's not fair for, I say, you're Gen Z listening to this. I don't know how you stumbled on this podcast, but I'm glad you did. Uh, you know, you're going into a company. You don't have any of that baggage. You now have no experience. You're coming into a post-pandemic work world. They don't even know what the world of work is supposed to look like. So now you've got people who are just going to start from a place of how should it feel? They're going to come up against a lot of friction of the way it used to be. The old guard. Don't talk about that at work. Keep to yourself. Keep your nose to the grindstone. You know, don't expect much from us as a brand. We're going to, right? It's a whole new world. And it's going to change the more time goes on. I think leaders who are looking at this saying, uh, we're going to go back to the way it was, they're fooling yourselves. Everything is changing. And it's it's scary to think like that. But look, that's the world in which we live. It's going to continue to change. So to answer your question, it, I think you have to come into an, uh, an org with a respect for the fact that the world of work has lo- looked a lot different before the pandemic. It looked a lot different 15 years ago before everything we take for granted right now. But because of the change that we've already lived through, we're going to be fine living through the rest of the change. And if you're somebody who's working at a company where you are disrespected, you are underpaid, you are undervalued, get the F out. No one is stuck at their companies anymore. You have the world as your oyster with remote work to go work for a company that treats you like a human being. I'm sorry to say it, but that is the bare minimum. (laughs) And really to be happy, right? You know what I mean? Like, I think that translates to a lot of different aspects, like I still have crazy conversations. So like we're talking about stuff that is a bit cutting edge here, but I'm talking about like the old school stuff where it's like, what if my boss doesn't believe in my job or what I do for a living? It's like, well, why are you working there? It's it's the same thing here, right? Like if you know you can be happy, do it, you know, and you've identified those things for yourself, like why wouldn't you seek those out? There's other options out there. Conviction. I think it's about integrity, self-respect, and conviction. I think people who are stuck in bad jobs or bad companies, they've lost sight of what they deserve and what they are, you know, what they can. And especially if you're somebody who say is a minority, you know, going into the workplace or um, from a disadvantaged background, you don't have a lot of privilege to just jump around. And you might be looking at this saying, "I've got to stay where I am to make sure that I get, you know, my cost of living covered, my paycheck, my health insurance." It is really a privileged thing to jump and jump and jump to gigs and all this. But this idea of truth and this idea of at some point you have to ask, at what at what point is this abuse? And at what point is this just a regular job? You know, that's that's yeah. bothering me. And I see so and TikTok is full of this. I got on TikTok about a year ago. You should really get on it. Are you there, Justin? Are you okay. have you succumbed? I'm Josh, not. how about you? I, I get the trickle down of reels. And, no, no, uh, no. But tie it to Instagram. It's it's, it's <laughs> my wife is the same way. She's like, oh, I saw this reel you might like. I'm like, babe, I saw that three months ago on TikTok. <laughs> I would spend honestly spend some time on TikTok, floating through some of the hashtags around work, work from home, corporate life. You're going to see a lot of Gen Zs getting really, really real, really honest about the kind of BS that we've all just put up with. But now, because everyone has access to these social networks, they're just they're banding together to say this no more. Absolutely not. And I think the organizations revolution. need to embrace that. The revolution is, is on TikTok. The revolution will be televised, but in 60-second chunks on TikTok. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I think all this is a huge opportunity for founders, right? Like you talked about earlier. When you, we, we, when you say the word brand, like we were saying earlier, to me, that just feels like big company, right? So it's much harder for a brand or a big company to pivot and be something different and kind of like move that Titanic. But for founders, which is a big part of our audience, 
there's a huge opportunity, right? Like you can set the tone now and be your authentic self now. And like you said, it's a talent war and the way talent is responding to social issues, justice issues, whatever it may be, is completely different than it was two decades ago. So it's an opportunity for, again, small companies to David and Goliath's story to compete against the big guys by being authentic, being real, and maybe attracting talent that you maybe wouldn't have an opportunity to get otherwise. So just- What an advantage of being smaller in this case, especially to your point, bigger companies can't pivot as fast. They can't adapt to the needs of the workforce of October, 2023. They're they're going to take time to change. I agree a thousand percent. I think founders too. And I I was a founder for 18 months. I will say, I I, I don't like to say like, oh, I was a startup founder. I just, <laughs> I did it. You know, I did the gig. I won't ever do it again. It was rife with stress and lots and lots. It's an impossible job. I respect every single person listening to this who is wondering every single day about 900 things. But I wonder if too, if founders listening would think about when all is said and done, when you walk away from the company, which you eventually will do, whether it's with your head held high or, you know, just crying in the corner, hopefully, yep, hopefully it's the cashing the check to the bank and walking. Are you proud and did you build the company that you wanted to build from the get go? Now is the time to dream about the company you wish existed in the world, not just what they do, but how they operate, how they treat people. I think it's an amazing opportunity to set a new course for how businesses run. Look, right now, everything's changing. Why not try something new? Why not be the founder that you always wanted to be? A lot of us, you know, and I fell into the trap too. I wanted to look just like every other founder. I almost got myself one of those, you know, vests. The college Patagonia vest. Sweet. I live in Boston. You understand. They all look the same. You, you walk down the street. It's just, you know, <laughs> I had an office at WeWork and I was just surrounded by people that I was like, I want to fit in. I want to be, I want to be in the big dogs. And I just, oh, it was so infuriating to try to like assimilate. I just did it myself because I couldn't, I it just, it's too, it's too our point. It's too exhausting to be anybody else. But so many founders just try to conform and be just like every other founder. If I'm telling this story, I'll get these VCs. I'll do this X growth. And it's like, how, you know, how often does that actually happen? How often are companies that look just like everybody else standing out, differentiating? You, you can't do this if you're going to do it like everybody else. You're not going to get no. the results you want. No, I really it's think it's about anymore. being you know, not only just unique, just real. Yeah. Honesty is scalable. Honesty is scalable. It takes a lot to maintain a lie. It takes a lot of BS. And honestly, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's a great point to, to wrap us up on there. Keep, mic drop. Mike, Bam. Knock the mic over. Just Katie, nice thank, you so, thank you so much you for joining us today. Uh, where can people go if they want to learn more, ask questions, engage with you in the world of the hologram, yet uh, <laughs> a very authentic world? Give me a call if you're in Boston. Otherwise, uh, just Google. Just Google Katie Martel. You'll find me. And uh, when you reach that person on the internet, please know that that is a hologram version of myself and not the real thing. <laughs> Act accordingly. Thank you so much. Super insightful and always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, folks, if you want more content like this, please subscribe. It helps keep us going. helps us get the word out there. Uh, give us a like on our newsletter on LinkedIn or just subscribe via in revenue.capital. And thank you so much for joining us again on the Cheat Code.